As we journey through this Lenten season, join Bishop and Kyle in praying the Anima Christi. In the name of the Father, and of the Son, and of the Holy Spirit. Amen. Soul of Christ, be my sanctification. Body of Christ, be my salvation. Blood of Christ, fill all my veins. Water of Christ's side, wash out my stains. Passion of Christ, my comfort be. O good Jesus, listen to me. In thy wounds I fain would hide ne'er to be parted from thy side. Guard me, should the foe assail me. Call me when my life shall fail me. Bid me come to thee above, with thy saints to sing thy love, world without end. Amen. In the name of the Father, and of the Son, and of the Holy Spirit. Amen. Welcome to Truth and Charity with Bishop Rhodes, brought to you in part by Notre Dame Federal Credit Union. This week, we're taking you back to the Rekindle the Fire Men's Conference held in February at the Allen County War Memorial Coliseum. In addition to an impressive lineup of speakers and record-breaking attendance that day, Bishop Kevin Rhodes answered questions submitted from men attending the conference with Truth and Charity host Kyle Hyman helping out. Afterwards, we'll play Bishop's homily from his most recent Sunday Mass, live streamed from the Cathedral of the Immaculate Conception. But first up, Bishop's Q&A from Rekindle the Fire. So I'd like to welcome Bishop and Kyle Hyman up to the stage. Thank you. Thanks. Thank you, everybody. Thanks. Thank you. Thanks, Kyle. Kyle. Kyle's a great sidekick on Redeemer Radio. If if I if oh, what's my name? Last year, I didn't know what they were yelling out when they said that. Bishop Kevin Rhodes. <laughs> Thank you. I'm really happy to see this great attendance here this year, the highest ever. So thank you all for coming. And uh, I'll do my best to try to answer these questions. What a great time to get together to, for a day focused on the Lord, to think about our relationship with Christ and his church, and to gather together as brothers in Christ. So brothers, here we go. My name is Kyle Hyman. It's nice when you can just get a, a pause just by saying your name. It's it good. All right. Had a, a lot of questions. Some of them I kind of saved back because I feel like we could maybe do a whole episode of Truth and Charity just on one question. So if you didn't hear your question, please tune into Truth and Charity in the future. First question. Can a bishop run for president... Or is it feasible to do so? <laughs> wow, that's an interesting question. No, we are not allowed to run for any political office, although 
Pope Francis might make maybe a special concession given the political situation in our country. I don't know. <laughs> <laughs> All right. Uh, and actually, there were several questions about politics, and Bishop did do a whole episode just on faith and politics that you could find if you go to redeemerradio.com slash askbishop, or also if you go to, and I think we have a slide for it if you want to write it down, it's redeemerradio.com slash TIC, for truth and charity, TIC 125. So that whole episode, if you go to that website, that whole episode was on faith and politics. And it yeah, was and really I've good. already given three talks in the past couple months, one at St. Mary's College, a theology on tap here in Fort Wayne, yeah. and just Monday night at Moreau Seminary. So I go to different places. They always give the bishop the tough topics, religion and politics. But I think I, I can talk on that topic. Yeah, yeah. sure to offend your neighbors. So if that's what you're <laughs> Uh, what is your Bible life verse? My Bible life verse. I'm not, I'm not sure what a life verse is. Maybe, Maybe it means like what Bible verse is most important in my life. Maybe. Maybe help If that's what it means, I would just say I love Romans, St. Paul's letter to the Romans, chapter 8. And it's the last part. It's several verses, actually, where it says, who can separate us from the love of Christ? And then it gives a whole list, trial, distress, persecution, a whole list. And basically at the end, St. Paul says, nothing, no one and nobody, nothing can separate us from the love of God in Christ Jesus our Lord. When we have that conviction in our hearts, when tough times come or challenges in our lives, we always know nothing that nothing can separate us from that love we and brothers we're beloved sons of god the father that's our identity our most important identity we're brothers of jesus christ we're temples of the holy spirit no one can take that dignity away and we need to strive to do our best to live in harmony with that dignity so yeah All right, if god is so good why is there so much evil Okay, that should be one on the radio, Kyle. That, that, the, that the, problem or, the problem or mystery of evil, of course, is the most difficult mystery for us as human beings. Obviously, we believe in that God is love, totally good. So why is there evil? There's two kinds of evil. One is moral evil. That's easier to explain. We know that God has given all of us freedom. So therefore, we're free to do good or to do evil. We're free to love or to hate. We're free to make peace or to, or to make war. You say, well, why did God give us that gift of freedom? Well, he created us in his image and likeness. If we weren't free, if we were like animals, if we just lived by instinct, we wouldn't be able to love. But the other side of that is we can also hate. We can do evil. So I would say that it's part of our dignity as human beings, created in God's image and likeness, that we have the gift of freedom. But because of that, there can be evil. What is more difficult to explain is not moral evil, but physical evil. That's things like natural disasters. Innocent people dying in a tsunami or an earthquake 
hurricane. And there we get into the whole issue of the cosmos and creation and how creation, as God created the world, God created the universe, which evolves and which develops, but there are imperfections in creation. And we see, for example, floods, whatever. And that can bring destruction. So that becomes more of a mystery for us. But we do believe that even though there is harmony in the universe, there's also disharmony in the universe that can create damage, etc. Now, as I said, I would have to delve into this a little bit more. There are philosophers and theologians who've, who've speculated on this question about why God allows that kind of evil, physical evil. It truly gets quite complex. And some of these questions I don't think we'll ever answer fully or fully understand in this life. So all we know is that God has promised to bring good out of evil and that the redemption accomplished by Jesus when he died upon the cross and rose from the dead, he has conquered sin and death and that in the end there will be a new heavens and a new earth and all physical evil will end. Someone wrote, I am almost finished with my degree, and I am going to be a high school teacher. I want to create a gentleman's class where I will teach them responsibility, chivalry, fitness, modesty, and faith. What would be some things you would want me to discuss with my students? Oh, that's, that's a good question. Now, that does remind me, we do have a class like this in our Catholic high schools. We started with a course on the dignity and vocation of women as an elective for high school seniors, which began with Miss Jessica Hayes, who's a consecrated virgin of our diocese at Bishop Dwenger High School. It became a very popular course, and it's a difficult course. It's a course that's very challenging, a lot of reading, but really good. And even though it's very challenging, the young women, the students at Dwenger, the female students, you know, a lot of them signed up every year. Of course, then the guys started saying, well, the girls have a course on the dignity and vocation of women. We want something on the dignity and vocation of men. So I think it was Joe Garcia, I think, at at Bishop Dwenger, who started teaching that. Now I think all four high schools, I'm not sure about St. Joe's, South Bend, but the other three, Dwenger, Lors, and Marion, all have courses on the dignity and vocation of women and dignity and vocation of men as an elective, and, a lot, and they're, as I said, they're popular courses. I think, especially when it comes to masculine identity and vocation as men, it's something that's a bit in crisis in our culture, especially with gender ideology, as if it makes no difference whether one is male or female, kind of doing away with the distinctions between the sexes. We need to have a good understanding that God created us male and female. So what does it mean to be male? And what does it mean to be female? In a course like this, and since we already have this course developed, there's various aspects of that. And in the Dignity and Vocation of Men course, of course, they, they begin with Scripture, and it looks at God as Father and what that means. And of course, the man par excellence is Jesus himself. 
So looking at the strengths of Jesus and his virtues and how he lived his manhood. I mean, he is the image, the model for us. And then looking at great men and great male saints. That I would suggest as part of a course like that, who are good models. And not just priests and bishops who were saints, but husbands and fathers and single men also. And then to look at those characteristics that make for a, a strong Catholic man. Of course, the vocation that's common for men and women is we're all called to love, the vocation to love. But it's how. Obviously, a bishop or a priest gives his life celibate love, but is, is like a husband or a father, a spiritual father. He shouldn't be living like a carefree bachelor. That's not true celibacy. It should be a self-sacrificing love, like a husband giving of himself in love for his wife and for his children. So I would definitely look at all of those things in a course. I would also focus in on marriage and living the vocation of husband and father and what that means. But I would also, in such a course, present the option of celibacy for the sake of the kingdom, spiritual fatherhood, and, uh, and being an image of Christ, the bridegroom of the church. So, few ideas. We'll be back with more from the Rekindle the Fire conference here on Truth and Charity with Bishop Rhodes, brought to you in part by Notre Dame Federal Credit Union. What's the difference between Notre Dame Federal Credit Union and a bank? Well, banks are owned by investors looking to make a profit. Notre Dame FCU is different. We are a not-for-profit member-owned cooperative. Our mission is to help our members improve their lives by providing products and services to save them money. If we end up with too much money ourselves, we simply give it away to our members' favorite charities. Last year, over a million dollars. You already share our values. Why not share in our benefits? Notre Dame Federal Credit Union. Welcome back to Truth and Charity with Bishop Rhodes. This week, we're playing for you the question and answer session from February's Rekindle the Fire Men's Conference. Next up, Kyle has a question for Bishop submitted by a high school student. I, th I think this is a high school student, Ryan, who wrote, what is the best way I can talk about my faith or show my faith in my public high school? Oh, that's good. Number one, of course, is witness, just living a good life, I think in one way, you know, and I've seen this, some of our own, some of our public high school students, Catholic students who I've met and talked to, I've talked to them about the challenges in school and, you know, what they're, some of them will share with me and I'll ask them that very question. Well, how are you living your Catholic faith? And sometimes it's by when topics come up where they'll share what we believe as Catholics. I think that's very important, just to bear witness. Sometimes they might be, there might be some anti-Catholic attacks from other students, and therefore it requires that these, our Catholic students, know their faith so they know how to defend the faith. And I'll say to young people, I'll say to them, listen, if you don't know the answer, come back, talk to your priest, or, or search the answer. It's interesting sometimes when we're in situations like that, either a public high school or maybe even at work or whatever, and your faith gets challenged. I find 
Catholics can either respond in two ways. One is that their faith is weak and they just go along with the challenge and, you know, maybe even leave the church. That's sad. But the others, as I see, become stronger because when they're challenged, then they seek out what are the answers and they start studying the faith more and they talk to their priests more, whatever. And they end up becoming stronger in the faith. I find that in my own life too. Sometimes when I get asked difficult questions, even on Redeemer Radio, when there's questions and answers, that's kind of good because it helps me to learn more, to study it more. And I'll admit, if I don't know the answer to a question, I'll say, well, I'll get back to you. But the important thing too is that our young people have courage all of us actually, to have courage. And I say to our young people, I talk about that gift of fortitude when I confirm them, that gift of courage from the Holy Spirit, to not be afraid and not be ashamed to bear witness to Christ and not be ashamed of our Catholic faith. As men called to be in the world, not of the world, how can we best support you as bishop other than through financial donations and prayers? You know what I'd like to see more? That's a good question. I'd like to see our Catholic people sometimes be a little more vocal. And what I mean by that is, for example, I'll get upset. Care, careful what you wish for. Yeah, yeah, yeah. What, what I mean by that is, like, I shouldn't be the only one responding to, let's say, unfair media coverage. When they're blasting the church unfairly, I'm not saying we defend bad things, obviously, when it's sexual abuse of minors or something like that, but when there are unfair attacks against teachings of our church, or not only unfair attacks against church teachings, but even, well, that would be one example, or unfair coverage of the church, I think we should respond. I think our Catholic laity should be writing letters to the editor, making phone calls. Start, you know, that we stand up and say, we're not going to accept this. It's not fair. It's not just. So that's one thing that comes to mind, is being a little more out there when I think we sit back too much. Maybe there's a certain embarrassment that we don't like to get in a fight or whatever, especially maybe some embarrassment because of the sex abuse scandal. Maybe that has made us quieter, perhaps. But I would like to see a little bit more response to that. You shouldn't be the only one that has to defend the church and defend our priests, our good priests. All right. Please give us a short response to non-Catholics who make comments about abuse that is consistently in the media. This might be going to your earlier question. I would always be honest. I would be, I think that's, honest, honesty is the most important thing. I will say, I'm disgusted by those who have harmed minors. Disgusted, horrified by child sexual abuse, by priests or by anyone. Now, the spotlight is on the Catholic Church. I have to be careful, I wanna be defensive, and I'll say, but why don't you go after other institutions? Why aren't you going after the higher percentage in the public school teachers than we have in the Catholic Church? Or why don't you 
make that a headline when that happens. Why is it only so? But I have to be careful because as bishop, when I do that, it can come across as really defensive. But I will be honest and tell them if they have a right to know. I mean, details that I can't explain, but I will admit that we've had a problem. Most of these cases were many years ago. One of the things that bothers me is sometimes the way the press presents it, it's like it's an ongoing problem, which it is not. These cases are from 30, 40 years ago. The other thing is how they were handled. That's what's upset so many people with a cover-up, etc. We've been pretty blessed in our diocese because at least in the more recent decades, they were handled well in the sense that priests were removed. They weren't reassigned. Now, if you go further back, there are some problems, you know, where sometimes, but bishops 40 years ago, really, to be honest, a lot of them didn't understand the problem. They thought, oh, they send a guy away, he can get healed and he'll be okay. Well, that was wrong, you know, it was, it was too risky. We learned from that mistake. So I'm not, they asked me to give a short answer, but I don't know that you can be short other than admit in honesty the sin and the crime that has taken place within the church, but then recognize that it's a wider problem. If we're serious about protecting children, then we should be serious in every part of society. A lot of sexual abuse of children happen within families. I think we should work hard, and I think actually the Catholic Church has more in place to protect minors and to have a safe environment in our parishes and schools now than, than anyone else that I know. So again, maybe I'm sounding a little defensive, but I would just be honest. How important is receiving the Eucharist on the tongue? What's important is what's in our heart. I think people have a legitimate option to receive Holy Communion on the tongue or in the hand and do so with reverence and respect. But what is God looking at? He's looking at the state of our soul. We should be more worried about how we're receiving him, hopefully in the state of grace. When you place priests in new or different parishes, what do you say to parishioners who choose to move their membership to follow the priest? Is it more important to stay at your parish or to follow a priest that you like to listen to and celebrate Mass with? Well, people are free to go to what parish they want to, but I think there should be a level of commitment to one's parish community because there are some times where parishes, this is more of an issue up on the South Bend side of the diocese, but some here in Fort Wayne, but where parish fortunes rise and fall too much according to what priest is there. And I think there should be a certain loyalty to one's parish so that that parish will thrive because if they're just following the most popular priest or the one who gives the best homilies, then we have a parish that's getting overcrowded and another parish starts to die. And I watched that and I said, okay, now I have to get a, put another priest there who's gonna be able to bring some people back because they flock to this other parish. So I think there should be more parish loyalty. Now, saying that, if 
one is really not being spiritually nourished or one's concerned, for example, about your children or something and you feel like, wow, this is really, really difficult to stay here because of our priest. I, I feel for the spiritual good of my family. I'm going to go somewhere else. I'll respect that reason. I just don't think it should be lightly moving all the time. Yeah. What can we do to better support our parish priests who are attacked by more secularized people for preaching the truth of the gospel? You know, besides praying for them, I think it's good to affirm them, to affirm your priests. I think sometimes, I mean, in a sincere way, you know, thanks, Father, that was a good homily, or, or thanks for your, um, all your hard work, or thanks for visiting my mom in the hospital, whatever it might be. Just, I'd say, not taking them for granted, but I think they, I, I guess, you know, it's helpful if they know they're appreciated. If you have a question for Bishop to answer on a future episode, you can call or text the Holy Cross College text line at 260-436-9598. We'll be back with more from the Rekindle the Fire Men's Conference here on Truth and Charity with Bishop Rhodes, brought to you in part by Notre Dame Federal Credit Union. Welcome back to Truth and Charity with Bishop Rhodes. We're playing for you the question and answer session from February's Rekindle the Fire Men's Conference. Here, Bishop answers a question about the charismatic movement. Is the charismatic movement, along with the healing masses, something to be embraced by all Catholics? I would say that there are various spiritual movements that that one is free to participate in or not. So the charismatic renewal would be one. It's not required, or healing masses aren't required, you know, that one would, but it's something approved by the church, so it's okay. Obviously, the working of the Holy Spirit in the church, that is something we all have to believe, and we, we believe in the power of the Holy Spirit, but there are different modes of spirituality. You know, when I pray, I'm much more comfortable in silent prayer before the Blessed Sacrament. The more extemporaneous, speaking in tongues, and exuberant kind of prayer that you might find in some charismatic prayer meetings, I'll support that or I'll even go to it to, if I'm invited, but it wouldn't be my preference. You know, I'd much rather be alone with the Lord in silence. But someone else, you know, we're all different. God works in our lives different ways, so we all have different ways that we like to pray or that we feel called to pray. I'm more of a quiet prayer person. How is our church addressing mental health for our youth? Mental health for our youth. The only thing I can think of specifically right now is the counseling services that we've restarted in Catholic charities that are helping youth in some of our Catholic schools and doing some counseling for the youth, but also for the families. Other than that, there might be things happening on a parish level that I'm not sure about. You know, usually the thing with professional mental health counseling can be pretty expensive. So with Catholic charities, it took us a while to raise the money so we could have a couple counselors to do that. But it is, has been helpful. 
especially, I mean, some of the more common issues, I think some of this is connected to technology, by the way, but I'm just, I don't know, that we do see some increase in anxiety among our uh, young people and, and depression sometimes. But I do think we have to be concerned about the mental health of, of all of our people and young people included. Why does God in the Old Testament seem so angry and less merciful than in the New Testament? One thing, there was a heresy in the early church, Marcion, who kind of said that, kind of made this distinction between the God of the Old Testament and the God of the New Testament and kind of rejected the God of the Old Testament. Well, that's a heresy of the church. It's one God. And I think there's been a neglect of all of those images in the Old Testament of God's tenderness and mercy because it's there a lot. But, of course, we, we also see times where the wrath of God comes out or the judgment side of God, justice. But we also see some of that in the New Testament as well. But it's, it's one God, and I think we also have to realize the human authors and the books of the Old Testament are divinely inspired, but some also is the interpretation of some of the human authors, for example, going to battle with God on their side. How much of that is is their own perception of what's, what's happening. Is any penance or abstinence required on Fridays outside the season of Lent? Well, we have fasting and abstinence on Ash Wednesday, everybody. Okay, don't forget this Wednesday. But also, every Friday of the year should be a day of some penance. It's not, but the church no longer legislates it. So it's left to our freedom what we want to do as a sacrifice on regular Fridays throughout the year. There are some people who decide that they are going to continue abstaining from meat all Fridays of the year. But that's one's free choice. But one should always be doing some penance. What I think has happened since the church did away with the law of abstinence on all Fridays, I think most Catholics have just forgotten that Friday is still a day of penance. But it should be. It should be that we're doing something, either abstaining from meat, but now we're free to choose what we want to do. But it's a way of observing that day of the death of our Lord. And on our Lenten theme, favorite fish for Fridays. Oh, that's interesting, because I have a new favorite fish since I moved to Fort Wayne. Uh, which is a fish that I never had living on the East Coast. And it's now my favorite fish. Anyone know what it might be? Walleye. Almond-crusted walleyes, now my favorite. Okay. <laughs> That's healthy, right? Maybe not the almond-crusted part. <laughs> Everything's healthy if you just believe. Uh, and so I, I did save a bunch of questions for future episodes of Truth and Charity, but maybe with the remaining time, there were several people that were asking for an update on our priests and seminarians and the kind of the situation in the diocese. Maybe you could give us a little update there. Yeah, yeah. We're, we're still doing well with vocations. I don't know how many applicants we'll have for next year, but, but we're at about 25 seminarians, which is good. We definitely have the best number in the, of the dioceses of Indiana. So we're very fortunate. It's really tough, 
I've, I've been working on the priest transfers because we have some retirements coming up. So I don't have enough priests to be pastors. So that's really this time around in June. So I'm really struggling. And there might be a few parishes that I'll have to twin, like two parishes having one pastor. And there might be a couple places where they'll lose having an associate pastor. This is kind of temporary because our numbers are good, but it just happens to be a year where we have a number of retirements, so we don't have as many coming in as, as leaving. But, I mean, when, we look at, when I look at other dioceses, this challenge that I'm facing right now isn't as bad as, as the great majority of, of, of dioceses that I know. But it is a little difficult, you know, as I look at, um, you know, which parishes to twin, because no one's going to like it if their parish is chosen, or which parish loses an associate. Some of the pastors won't be happy with that decision. But anyhow, that's uh, part of my job. <laughs> All right. Well, thank you, Bishop. I know a lot of people came up to me out in the hallway and said how much they've been learning from you through Truth and Charity and how they've gotten to know you better as well. And it's just been a great thing for us in the diocese. And I appreciate you giving of your time, not just for Truth and Charity, but for coming here as well. And encourage people to check out Truth and Charity Wednesdays at noon on Redeemer Radio. You can find it at RedeemerRadio.com slash AskBishop. You can also submit questions there if you didn't get your question in today and have a question or a follow-up question to one of these, you can submit them there. And, and Bishop has been very generous with answering questions. So thank you again for all of your support. You're welcome, Kyle. Thank you, too. Thank you. Thank you, everybody. If you have a question for Bishop to answer on a future episode, you can submit it at RedeemerRadio.com slash AskBishop. Or you can call or text the Holy Cross College text line at 260-436-9598. We'll be back with Bishop's most recent Sunday Mass homily, right here on Truth and Charity with Bishop Rhodes, brought to you in part by Notre Dame Federal Credit Union. Welcome back to Truth and Charity with Bishop Rhodes. We're going to shift gears now and bring you Bishop's homily from this past Sunday. It was streamed live from the Cathedral of the Immaculate Conception. On this fifth Sunday of Lent, we hear the account of the greatest sign of Jesus' public ministry. He brings Lazarus, who had been dead for four days, back to life. This miracle reveals Jesus' divine power over life and death. We hear this amazing story at a time when we need to hear it, during this coronavirus pandemic, when thousands of people have died around the world and the deadly virus continues to spread, threatening the lives of many others. There's a detail at the beginning of today's gospel that makes me think of the fortitude and courage of our doctors, nurses, healthcare workers, and first responders during this pandemic. They enter into situations of danger to care for those who are suffering. Jesus went into a situation of great danger when he went back to Judea to be with Martha and Mary and to awaken his friend Lazarus. 
the disciples warned him about this danger. They said to him, Rabbi, the Jews were just trying to stone you, and you want to go back there? Yes, Jesus wanted to go back there. He is the good shepherd who lays down his life for the sheep. Our Lord courageously headed into danger to help Lazarus, to bring him back to life. Next Sunday, Palm Sunday, we will hear what happened because Jesus went back to Judea. He would be arrested. He would lay down his life and embrace death so that we can receive life. Many medical workers around the world have contracted the coronavirus because they were dedicated, despite the risk, to care for their patients. Let us pray for them and for all those who continue to face danger, yet courageously do so because of their selfless commitment to the sick and the dying. Notice in the gospel that after Jesus said to the disciples, let us go to Lazarus, the apostle Thomas said to the other disciples, let us also go to die with Jesus. By faithfully following Jesus, the disciples headed into the same dangerous situation as their master. I read this past week about a doctor who was asked by a reporter about entering into a hospital to care for his patients in a situation when there was a shortage of protective gear for the doctors. He said that he did his best to protect himself with homemade gear. And he told the reporter that he could not not serve his patients despite the risk. This doctor, like so many others, had the Holy Spirit's gift of fortitude, courage, motivated not only by duty, but by love. He was ready to lay down his life for his patients. I also heard about a nurse caring for coronavirus patients. She was asked about how she was doing and if she was afraid. She replied that she often prays silently in her heart as she moves from patient to patient, words spoken by her patron saint, Saint Joan of Arc. I am not afraid. I was born to do this. Besides healthcare workers, there are the priests who also enter into danger to anoint and bring viaticum to the sick and the dying. You may have read in the news that over 60 priests in Italy, 20 of them from the same diocese, have died from the coronavirus, many of them because they were faithfully and courageously ministering to the sick and the dying. They, like so many healthcare workers, entered into danger because of their vocation to love and care for those who are suffering. In his dialogue with Martha, Jesus makes a great proclamation of his identity. He says to her, I am the resurrection and the life. Whoever believes in me, even if he dies, he will live. And everyone who believes in me will never die. Then he asked Martha if she believes this. And Martha makes a beautiful profession of faith. Yes, Lord, I have come to believe that you are the Christ, 
the Son of God, the one who is coming into the world, Jesus asks all of us that same question. Do you believe this? Do you believe that I am the resurrection and the life? May the Lord bless us with the gift of faith during this time so that we may respond with Martha. Yes, Lord, I believe. What does this faith in Jesus as the resurrection and the life mean? Jesus is talking about another realm of existence. We're very focused these days on the realm of physical, earthly life. The word in Greek for this kind of life is bios, from which we get the word biology. Jesus resuscitated Lazarus. By the power of Jesus, Lazarus returned to biological life. This is the realm of life that's threatened by the coronavirus. And scientists are working tirelessly to confront this threat by developing viral medicine and a vaccine to fight and defeat the virus and protect life. Now, when Jesus speaks of himself as the resurrection and the life, he's speaking about another realm of life. He doesn't use the word bios. He uses the word zoe. Zoe means more than biological life. It's a different plane. The realm of biology always involves death. Jesus opens the realm of a life that is not restricted by biology. Definitive life. Life that has left behind the rule of death. It's this life that we will celebrate at Easter. The life of the resurrection. The life that never ends. It's the life St. Paul is talking about in today's second reading from his letter to the Romans, where he writes, if the spirit of the one who raised Jesus from the dead dwells in you, the one who raised Christ from the dead will give life to your mortal bodies also through his spirit dwelling in you. During this pandemic, when so many are working tirelessly, to fight and defeat the coronavirus and to preserve biological life, let's also remember that there's an even more destructive virus out there. It's the virus that attacks the definitive life that Jesus gives us. It attacks the life of grace, and that virus is sin. It is a virus that is defeated by grace and by love. It's the virus that is conquered on the cross, and the death that the virus of sin causes is defeated when Jesus rises from the dead. Something infinitely greater than the resuscitation of Lazarus. That's why the early Christians would sing these words quoted by St. Paul. Death is swallowed up in victory. Where, O oh death, is your victory? Where, O oh death? is your sting. My brothers and sisters, because of Jesus, death does not have the last word. Life has the last word. That life we received at our baptism. It is life without end. When we encounter Christ, we enter into communion with that life. We are in touch with true life beyond our biological life. We come into contact with that life when we receive the drug of immortality, the antidote to death, the Holy Eucharist, the bread of life. During this time, 
We long for that day when all will be able to receive again this medicine of immortality. In the meantime, the Lord invites us to live the Eucharist through prayer, love, and service. And finally, I invite you to meditate on these words of Jesus. I came that they may have life and have it abundantly. One thing we can hopefully learn from this pandemic and its economic toll is that life in abundance is not what so many tend to think. It's not about having everything, material comforts and worldly pleasures. It's about life in union with Christ, the life of love, life in union with the Most Holy Trinity. May we always value that life above everything, and may we spread that life to our neighbors. Listen to Redeemer Radio Sunday mornings at 10 for a live broadcast of Bishop's Mass from the Cathedral of the Immaculate Conception. We're also happy to offer a live Stations of the Cross led by Bishop Rhodes on Friday, April 3rd at 7 p.m. If you have a question you'd like Bishop to answer, submit it at RedeemerRadio.com slash AskBishop. Truth and Charity with Bishop Rhodes is brought to you in part by Notre Dame Federal Credit Union.